Good morning, everyone. Uh, I've already shown improvement. Uh, I've been up here one other time, and uh, when I initially came up here, I forgot to turn on the light. So uh, Ron reminded me. So I'm improving already, which is, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, along with Ron, I do want to welcome everyone to worship uh, this morning at Rivermont Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We are delighted that you are here. And also, too, I would like to uh, remember and thank everyone who served in our military and, and especially those who have given their life for the sake of our freedom. Uh, you can open your Bibles or the Pew Bibles up to, Roman, uh, to Romans chapter 6. And that's where we're going to be looking at God's uh, Word this morning. Uh, and as you do that, uh, I want to begin by saying this. In uh, 15 years of student ministry... When I introduce a new game, I just, I've discovered the importance of explaining all the rules in detail. If I speak in general terms and fail to explain all the rules very specifically and in full detail, without, without fail, students will find a way to twist and bend the rules in their favor or their team's favor. I have to anticipate potential questions and cover every potential way to play differently than the stated rules. Anything to make the game easier and to avoid following the rules. What are students doing? Students are searching for loopholes. And in the first five chapters of Romans... Paul beautifully explains the gospel. He starts with the devastating effects of sin upon man and God's righteous judgment in Romans chapter 1 and 2. We're told in Romans 3 that no one seeks God, that no one does good, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then Paul tells us at the end of chapter 3 and in chapter 4, the way that we become righteous is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Romans 5 explains the results of faith in Christ. It is peace with God. And because of Christ, we are moved from death to life. Then we get to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And Paul knows that we're, we are not much different than the students and youth group. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, He knows our minds and the depth of sin and how fallen we are. How we want to bend the rules to make the game of life easy for ourselves. And the line of thinking is simply this. If our salvation is completely dependent upon Jesus Christ and God's grace. It doesn't matter what I do. God will forgive me. The ultimate loophole. Yes. Paul anticipates our sinful line of thinking and uses Romans 6 to thwart our plans. So let us read Romans chapter 6. Verses 1 through 14. This is God's holy word. What shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized in Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace let's pray father we are humbled by your goodness to us thank you that you have given us your word lord now i ask that you would speak to us through your word that during this time that i would decrease that you would increase And Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. So, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's answer is short and to the point. By no means. That would have been good enough. But Paul goes on to explain why we should not continue in sin and gives us reason to obey and to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And within his explanation, we will discover that there is no greater freedom for us individually and relationally. Let's begin by looking at our individual freedom in Romans 6.2, it says that we have died to sin. This is the basis of our freedom as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul uses died here, it is a completed past action. This is the reason that when God looks upon us, He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because we have died to sin. But wait. How have we died to sin? Then Paul uses the next six verses to explain that very fact. 
And verse 3 says that we have been baptized in Christ Jesus and His death. Verse 4, Paul says that we have been buried with Him. Verse 5, he says we have been united with Him. Verse 6, he says our old self was crucified with Him. Verse 7, he says one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, he says we have died with Christ. I'll be honest. Math is not my strongest subject. Luke is in seventh grade and has started algebra. He's my oldest son. And I told him this. Once, start, once letters start becoming numbers, I'm out. <laughs> but there is one thing that I do remember. It's when adding and subtracting fractions, you have to find the common denominator. Once you did that, everything else made sense. And this isn't math. But in verses 3 through 8, there is a common denominator, which allows Paul to say that we have died to sin and allows us to make sense of his proclamation. The common denominator is the Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been baptized, buried, united, crucified, and have died with Christ, Paul can say that we have died to sin. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And Jesus died to sin once and for all. Jesus' relationship with sin is over. It is finished forever. And because of our union with Christ, and the fact that says that Paul says many times throughout his epistles that we are in Christ, the same can be said for us. We can never go back. The only way to go is forward. And this is what Paul tells us in verse 11 when he says, So you, Christians, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the basis of our freedom. And there is no greater freedom than that. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. The old self, or even better translation, the old man, referring to Adam, has been crucified. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Yet, we struggle to believe this reality. And we so easily forget God's word. And what it says about our standing before God. Instead, what do we do? If you're like me, so often we turn to our feelings. When life becomes ordinary, boring, routine, we may not feel very close to God. 
When life becomes busy, we may not feel close to God. Other commitments begin to take precedent. So we feel far away. We may not feel close to God because of our sin. And it's so easy to judge our standing before God based on our past sin or even present wrongdoing. And I can't tell you how many times I've left the house thinking, Shane, you really blew it that time. You're too harsh with your children. Too apathetic towards Laura. Too selfish in your actions. Yes, sin is serious. Needs to be dealt with. But our identity, our standing before God, established by our works, is already dead. I can't be good enough. You can't be good enough. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to bury the reality of being dead to sin and alive to God and Christ Jesus deep, deep within our hearts. We no longer have to despair over our own failures and try to achieve holiness on our own. But instead we can rest in the promises of God which will enable us to serve Him and others around us. In short, our individual freedom needs to be put to use. It's a story about Abraham Lincoln from the Civil War. It goes like this, that in the last days of the Civil War, the Confederate capital, Richmond, Virginia, fell to the Union Army. Abraham Lincoln insisted on visiting the city. Even though no one knew he was coming, Slaves recognized him immediately and thronged around him. He had liberated them by the Emancipation Proclamation. And now Lincoln's army had set them free. Lincoln spoke to the throng around him and he said this. He said, my poor friends, you are free. Free as air. You can cast off the name of slave and trample upon it. Liberty is your birthright. But Lincoln also warned them not to abuse their freedom. He said to them, let the world see that you merit your freedom. Lincoln said, don't let your joy carry you to excesses. Learn the laws and obey them. And what Paul has done, he's reminded us of our secure standing before God. And for the believer, the Lord Jesus Christ that can never be changed. But in verses 12 through 14, Paul tells us how to use our individual freedom instead of abusing it. We are reminded that being in Christ is not a mystical removal from the real world. The grind of everyday life is before us. And Paul instructs us how to live out our lives. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, How are we using our individual freedom in Christ? A proper understanding of our individual freedom leads to freedom in relationship with one another. 
In verses 12 through 14, we're told not to let sin reign in our mortal body. Not to present our members to sin for unrighteousness. Instead, you use your members as instruments for righteousness. And despite our perfect standing before God, sin is still present in our mortal bodies. Paul knows that this is the tension that we all face. We still have the desire to sin, to obey its passion. We will not lose our standing before God, but we still can become a slave to the cravings of sin. The therefore in verse 12 is there to remind us that we owe sin nothing. We are dead to it. We are alive in Christ, as Paul explained in verse, verses 3 through 11. But if we are dead to sin, how can it still reign? And Paul tells us this, by presenting our bodily members as instruments of unrighteousness. And when Paul talks about our members, he's talking about this. He's talking about our eyes and our ears, our hands and our feet. And he tells us in our, in our tongues. And he asked, So the question we need to ask is how are we using our members in relationship with one another? Are we using our tongues to gossip and spread rumors? Are we using our eyes and ears to ignore needs that we clearly see and hear about? Where do our feet take us most of the time? Is it mostly places of entertainment? Places to escape the reality of life? Instead, Paul challenges us to present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and to use our members to God as instruments for righteousness. As we relate to one another in our individual freedom, we have in Christ, we may do so by using our tongues as instruments of praise and encouraging one another, using our eyes and ears to see and hear about needs and meeting those needs by serving and loving the person in need, using our feet to go and bring the good news of the gospel to areas within our community. Pastor and, John, uh, Pastor and author John MacArthur says, God's purpose in redeeming men from sin is not to give them freedom to do as they please, but freedom to do as He pleases, which is to live righteously. Our freedom in Christ provides incentive for us to obey the command to present our members to God as instruments of righteousness. And another aspect that we need to remember in our our relational freedom with our brothers and sisters in Christ is remembering that God works differently and at different times in people's lives. Not to mention the fact that within this room, there are people who have been Christians for perhaps two or three months, 20 years, 50 years, 80 years. But somehow, for some reason, we expect everybody to kind of be on the same page. But we need to remember 
that there is not a standard operating procedure in sanctification. Sanctification, simply put, is the process of becoming more like Jesus. Just because you don't struggle with certain sins doesn't mean that other people are not going to struggle with those same sins. There is great freedom in letting the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. We do not need to look down or judge people as they struggle with sin. Instead, what do we need to do? We need to remind them of the promise of verse 14. Paul tells us that sin will have no dominion over you. And this is not a command, but a promise. And when we're tempted to look down upon people, to judge people, to say, I can't believe that they did that. I encourage us instead to remind them that sin has no dominion over you. That's the promise of the gospel. That's what they need to hear. That's what we need to hear as God's people. And Paul follows the promise with a reminder that we are not under law, but we are under grace. May our relationships with one another be filled with grace as we enjoy the freedom that Christ has provided through His death, life, and resurrection. I want to conclude by thinking about camping. There's two ways to camp, basically. The first way is kind of the more traditional way, the old school way. You can sleep in a tent, in a sleeping bag. You can cook over a fire. You can haul water in from a stream. There's no shower. You go to the bathroom in the woods. Then there's a second way. The motor home. <laughs> yes. We can park a fully equipped home on a cement slab in the middle of a few trees and hook it up to a water line, sewer line, electricity. There's no more bother with dirt, no more smoke from the fire, no more drudgery of walking to the stream. It's possible to go camping without even going outside. <laughs> Amazing. We buy a motorhome with a hope of seeing new places, getting out into the world. But what do we do? We deck it out with the same furnishings that's in our living room, in our kitchen. So nothing really changes. We may drive to a new place, set ourselves in new surroundings. But the newness goes unnoticed for what have we've done. We've only carried along our old setting. For the believer, the new life in Christ begins when the comfortable patterns of the old life are left behind. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So by God's grace, 
let us remember that there is no greater freedom than freedom in Christ. And may our individual freedom spill over into our relationships with one another. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would use our members, our hands and our feet, our tongues, our eyes and our ears for righteousness. And Lord, uh, when we struggle, when we doubt, may we remember that we have died to sin because of what Christ has done for us. We're grateful for our salvation. Thank you that you love us enough to give us your son. And to his name we pray. Amen.